Well, I mean, our kind of thing has always been to kind of be a, a performance-driven brand, but to, to acknowledge the point that performance is different for everyone. So for a professional athlete, it's one thing. For you returning to your event or your time trial, it's a different thing. For a busy mother, it's, it's, it's another thing. But there's a certain mindset that can be common among all of those different subsets that they just want to perform at their best, whatever that performance might might mean so we see you know a really wide range of customers literally we say from from ballerinas through to bodybuilders and and everything in between and the one thing that i think kind of joins them all is that is that kind of need for performance in whatever they're doing but also the way to to see that you know it performance isn't a zero-sum game right uh, for me to perform no one else has to suffer and that was kind of like the basis that we built our brand on that you know you can have a performance product you can have a performance brand without having to you know damage the environment without having to you know uh, harm animals without anyone else having to suffer um so for our customer base the, the, that kind of sustainability um angle is very very important which is why we have all of the you know the charity work work that we do the carbon neutral the compostable packaging all of this and obviously as a as a vegan brand that's very important as well um so i think that's the that's the thing it's like performance but acknowledging that performance is is different for everyone and and the sustainability um side of things as well which again ties ties into that i think it has grown exponentially as a science when when i'm going back to when i was an undergraduate student it was like fairly unheard of for people to go and do nutrition i mean yeah, dietetics exists but nutrition as a science to go and study it as a science was fairly rare um and now it's just exploded uh, into you know science in its own right because i think people have appreciated that it's a, a complex interplay between lots of different disciplines um and requires you know thought in its own right as a, as a discipline so that's one thing i've seen and now in terms of performance i think there's been a real sea change because like going back to probably not that long ago and maybe when you were still performing david that it was very much about yeah let's just shove loads of carbs in you fuel you up with carb you up and then carb you up again when you finished and and it's all about sort of forcing that fuel into you all the time whereas now that recognition of actually there's times when you deliberately don't fuel or how you fuel things is much more nuanced and this whole idea of training low recovering low i mean that concept is relatively recent you know that's only 10 years ago that that really started to hit and it makes perfect sense and and it is definitely something that ties into all the metabolic adaptations that you get with training and it's almost a way of tackling the main problem that you get in athletes but a lot in semi-professional athletes or your amateur exerciser where they're just overfueling all the time they're just shoving loads of fuel in there they're not using um, and it actually is blunting all of these effects of exercise whether that's blunting their performance or blunting the fact that they're not losing any weight or not getting any fitter or not changing their body composition in, in any favorable way um so yeah that's been the real change i've seen in the sports nutrition performance nutrition uh, arena i can say in the other area of, of weight management i think the what i would like to see um 
that is starting to happen is something I want to, I'm exploring as well with my PhD students is the recognition that actually weight loss is, is not the focus. It should be on weight maintenance because the issue is not people losing weight, it's getting people to maintain that weight or not gain the weight in the first place. And, and that change in emphasis is, is another thing I think is starting to become uh, important. So Mikkel, today we are joined by uh, Damien Song and Adam Collins. Um, I'll introduce them in a minute. Uh, I'll explain Damien um, and Adam what we're doing. This is this crazy, over-the-top fitness challenge I put myself into to in a desperate attempt to find some motivation to to lose some weight, to gain some strength, and ultimately to go faster again on my bike. Uh, so what I have done is set this date of May the 14th as being uh, when I want to do a 10-mile time trial, which is like the classic British um, staple event. And it was where I started um, as a young cyclist, as a 15-year-old. So I thought it'd be quite nice 30 years later as a 45-year-old to to try and do a 10-mile time trial again. And what I did, the moment I decided to do this, I realized it's been eight years since I've gotten a time trial bike, but it's been eight years and I've been out the loop of everything that's going on. Uh, I mean, granted, I commentate on races, which is what I'm doing at the moment. So I'm on Paris-Nice, but I'm literally on the other side of the barrier and have lost track of what's going on in technology, in the hardware, in the apparel, the nutrition, the training, um, the psychology. And I thought of Damien. Damien and I have spoken a few times. And perhaps, Damien, you can introduce yourself first regards uh, form nutrition and, and what you've been doing, because that's this is one of the motivations for this, because I've seen what you guys are doing. It's like, actually, I'll speak to Damien. Yeah, so, hi. Um, thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, my name's uh, Damien. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Form. And basically, we're a plant-based brand that we built around the belief that you can be the best version of yourself while being mindful of others. You know, we've got a range of plant-based proteins, as you know, um, for your body, and then also a range of cognitive supplements for your mind. You can find us throughout the UK and the US. Um, big thing for us is um, our ESG and sustainability credentials. You know, we're a B Corporation, first UK protein brand to achieve that. Uh, also just recently certified as um, carbon neutral as well. Um, yeah, and we're throughout the UK and the US. Cool stockists like Planet Organic, Selfridges, Harrods, Equinox in the US. And then also bigger retailers uh, like Boots and um, Holland and Barrett as well. Um, but I don't know whether you want me to kind of go into the backstory of uh, of form or you know introduce Adam, who was like one of the first people that I um, connected with when we first had the idea of starting um, starting a nutrition business, primarily because you know for us credibility and authority was so important. It always struck me as kind of strange the amount of nutrition brands that didn't even have a nutritionist on the on the uh, on the management team uh, or even as part of any team. So, you know, I, I connected with Adam, you know, very, very early. And maybe this is a good um, a good time to introduce Adam, who's uh, you know, Dr. Adam Collins, PhD nutritionist, over 20 years experience. And you know, he can tell you now a little bit about what he does at the University of Surrey. Thanks, Damien. Yes, so I'm uh, Adam Collins. I'm uh, an associate professor at the University of Surrey, and I run uh, the undergrad and MSc program we have here in nutrition. Um, yeah, as Damien said, I've been 
qualified well, a long time ago since I did my PhD, but yeah, um, over 20 years of teaching and doing research in nutrition. And, and uh, yeah, it's right that I, I was one of the first people to connect with Damien at the origins of Form and, and the creation of the, the first products that, that Form brought out. Um, and even before that, we, we connected and, and discussed other things related to nutrition. Um, so my area of interest is around um, a few things, really. So my background is very much in sort of energy balance, metabolism, uh, energy expenditure, uh, weight management. Um, but recently I've been looking at intermittent fasting and currently looking at ways of doing other forms of um, intermittent restriction, um, particularly around intermittent carbohydrate restriction and and timing of carbohydrate uh, around exercise. So that interplay between sort of energy, macronutrients, um, whether that's performance, whether that's weight loss, um, and and that side of things. So that that's covers a whole host of different projects that I've been involved in and are ongoing at the moment. And Adam, can I can I ask you as just to say yeah. And, and, and Novi, somebody who doesn't know a lot about it, because for me, nutrition is like eating a carrot. It's it's not a, 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 a you know, or, you know, tomato or something like that. But I guess it's also a science to how the body works. And now, <clears throat> David's purpose is to go fast uh, in in a couple of weeks. Uh, what is it, David? Ten weeks. No, it's uh, two, ten weeks. Yeah. yeah ten weeks. Maybe and less. He's a little bit. Uh, he's heavier than he used to be. Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, but he also needs to go fast on the day. So, how does what are the, if you look at the broad picture? How does nutrition? How can nutrition help David in this sort of purpose? There's a few things that you could think about with nutrition, and you're absolutely right. Nutrition is a science. It's a very complicated science, and is often mm. um, simplified too much. At, uh, and that's one of the problems that we have. But in terms of David's plight, I mean, I suppose one thing is to think of weight management and to get him to change weight or maximise his body composition for the competition that he's doing. Um, but the other thing is around fueling for that training and for the actual event itself, which is needs a lot of tailoring. And, and there's been a lot of interest um, certainly in the sports nutrition, performance nutrition arena around periodization, not just of training, but also periodization of nutrition and how that is important um, to maximize the preparation and also the performance in the event itself. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely things that we could uh, approach with that in yeah. mind. I think for, for me, I, I'll just go back a bit to, to, you'll know this, Adam, from kind of, how it's changed so much in 30 years. When I turned professional in 1997, and almost, I think at that point, every single professional cycling team didn't have a chef. And we didn't, there were no recovery drinks even back then. And it seems crazy now when you're talking about, if we take the Tour de France or three-week stage races, it was the the most important thing is recovery. And not just rest, but actually the fueling the kind of what you're putting in your body and we had no idea we would literally just be turning up to hotels and be at the whim of the hotel and what they'd done and it would be overcooked pasta a boiled chicken fillet 
you know, some green peas and maybe a salad. And that was the kind of norm. Uh, and this is one of an, uh, I'll jump, jump ahead a bit. I think that at the time, one of the reasons that it was so bad was there was such a doping culture that actually doping culture was ahead of the nutrition culture. And in the 30 years since, uh, well, it's about 25 years since, what I've seen the biggest change is as the anti-doping culture came in, in the kind of late 2000s, early 2010s, and it started to really take control, people started to realize they were going to have to be pay more attention to all the other details. And this is something that we hear often. It's become the cliche with Team Sky and uh, actually it was Team GB before that, the marginal gains, that for the first time, nutrition became respected as a proper science because it became such an integral part of performance. And now if you go to the Tour de France, every single team has a chef. On training camps, they'll have their own chefs. They have their, their qualified nutritionists who are highly educated. And it's been such a big switch because I was still, and, and this just going back to what you were saying before about weight management, and I think this is probably what a lot of listeners get wrong, is when we jump into these sort of, and for most people, I suppose it's post new year, first, like the kind of the new year resolution, get fit, lose weight. The weight management to get fit and lose weight is, a, it's like, a, well, I, I know it's not, and that's why I want to talk to you. It felt like a black art because you're trying to eat less well you think you're eating less and better but you're working harder and your body's inefficient so you're burning more and it's this constant sort of so then you you're you're losing weight but then your performance is dropping off and then you get demoralized so you stop and then and there's also this moment and as michael was just referencing i was i'm about 85 kilos at the moment and if i can get to down to around 80 that would be great. My race weight when I was at my best was 77. But the thing is, my body composition is completely different now. I'm 85 and mm. there's not much muscle on there. It's a kind of a lot of basically fat, like skinny fat guy. And so at the moment, I have this kind of <laughs> issue is I'm trying to train, but I know I can feel my body changing. And I'm kind of going to get to that mm. point where the weight's going to stabilize and then trying to figure out, well, how do I do this balance between performance and weight loss and and how have you seen it change in the last decade regards that i i think the way in which it's changed is um i mean if you go away from the sort of fad dieting and the population population approach to i've got to lose weight because it's the new year and that side of it but from a more of professional way of looking at weight management i think it's it's almost stepping away from energy deficit and just creating you know a diet that is less energies than you're burning but then looking into the actual fueling uh, and how you are fueling basically for the work that you're doing and that more nuanced view means that in a way you are creating weight management without actually looking at calories per se, because you're looking at it from a fueling perspective rather than an energy perspective. Now, of course, energy is going to be part of it, but you're not doing it prescriptively based on calories. You're doing it based on what you're doing in terms of work and how you're fueling that work with what you're supplying in the diet. And, and that's been the real game changer, I think. But I think one of the dangers is that when you are trying to quantify things, 
you can actually get it wrong because with the best work in the world, you can't actually quantify it down to the level that you, you need. So you might be able to measure someone's energy expenditure or translate a work output into calories, but then you'd also have to bear in mind that there is a certain error associated with that. And there's also an error associated with how you're going to map that to what you're eating and quantify what you're eating in terms of calories. And you only need a certain, and to do that to the level of accuracy that you actually need in order to do it prescriptively from an energy point of view, it makes it relatively meaningless because we don't really function in that way. You know, physiologically, we don't function prescriptively. I eat this amount of calories, I burn this amount of calories because it's averaged over such a long period of time. So you can't break it down, distill it down into that level of detail. So that's why it's coming down to this idea of looking at it on a, on a wholesale level. So, so you've got sessions where you're doing lots of training and your training volume is very high and therefore your energy requirements very high, your fuel requirements very high, and you're expending a lot of your fuel reservoirs, um, whether that's glycogen or your adipose tissue. And then there's periods where you're doing less volume or resting or recovering. And so the, the, the way in which you feed is different depending on the circumstances. And that is a much more suitable way of approaching it rather than saying I expend this amount of calories therefore it I seems, eat this amount it, it of seems, calories. It seems to me there's like uh, you know there's there's a few different objectives to think about. One is how do you how do you achieve the optimum performance on the on the time trial day and, and what what levers can you pull to optimize your body composition for that? Because to me it would seem to be about optimizing your body composition for the maximum power to weight ratio. And then there's the other issue of how you fuel for that event, and obviously fueling for a, for a ten mile time trial, which which I'm, I'm guessing you'll do in what under twenty minutes, hopefully. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, 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 and on a bike, that's you know that that's pretty much a full out effort, obviously for for twenty minutes, and fueling for that is very different than fueling for the tour, where you've got like four, five, six hours for twenty one days, or however much it is. Um, and then there's the other point about how do you fuel for the training and the tra- the idea I imagine of the training is to optimize your body composition and your power to weight ratio and your performance to perform perfectly over that twenty minutes or less. Um, and I think that's what you were getting. But David, at, right? could, we, could we talk about that just for a minute? If we, if we split it into these three problems, uh, one is how do you fuel for training when when you haven't been training a lot for for a while, and then secondly, how do you how do you fuel for the uh, or how do you lose weight and get into weight optimal weight, and then how do you actually fuel on the day? I'm very interested to know also with the the stuff that you're doing. How do, how can you help um, a guy like David in, in be getting more out of his training through fueling? And I'm thinking about something very not many people talk about. For example, how you sleep, how much energy you have, um, how you restore yourself, uh, how much energy you have when, when you go hard, etc. And and um, Maybe you can talk a little bit about what you're doing in that sphere, Damien, and, and how how that can help um, athletes train better. 
Yeah, well, I think I think to pick, to pick up on one of the points that you that you mentioned there, sleep, um, and probably Adam can talk about this a little bit more in terms of what the research says and so on. But I think you know we all know anecdotally that we feel so much better after a good night's sleep. We all know anecdotally that we perform so much better after a good night's sleep. You know, and more and more now we see kind of athletes and just the general population really realise that that's the cornerstone of all performance. You know, and every 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 good day begins with a great night's sleep. Um, you know, we we look a lot at kind of supplementation around that. Uh, you know, we have our products disease, which is a sleep supplement to kind of help people get a more restorative sleep and fall asleep quicker and have like um, you know a, a, a much shorter kind of latency to, to fall asleep. Um, but I don't know, Adam, what what the kind of what I know you have the sleep lab there sorry but I don't know what what the kind of research is saying if the what kind of studies there are around sleep and performance at the moment I, I think it's not that much more sophisticated than what you've described really it's um obviously an opportunity to recover uh, from whatever it is you've done the day before or in preparation for what you're going to be doing the next day but I think the other thing around sleep uh, and how it interplays with nutrition is you know, what you're doing before you sleep and what you're doing after you sleep um, because it it can be an opportunity for you to maximize the recovery that you're doing during that sleep or use the sleep to extend a, a depleted phase which would then amplify something you're doing when you wake up the next day so i, th- I think that that's an interesting thing around, around sleep um there's always, particularly here at Surrey, because we have a, a sleep research centre, and we also have ish, uh, expertise in circadian biology, and, and there's an interplay there in terms of you know, when you're looking at time zones and when you're starting to shift uh, your circadian rhythm or, or shift even meal timings around uh, different times of day and how that influences not just circadian rhythm but also sleep patterns as well. So it's a complicated area. I have to say it's 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 a bit mind blowing when you start to delve into the the actual mechanics of it, um, which is why we've got uh, eminent professors. One of our most eminent professors in, in sleep is like a world expert in it. Yeah, we have a sleep supplement um, Z's. It's uh, you know it's basically a, a blend of five HTP, um, which is one of the precursors for for serotonin and melatonin production. Um, L-theanine, which is a calming amino acid, and then magnesium and zinc, which can also help with sleep. So this this was formulated obviously to help people get a kind of deeper, more regenerative sleep, but also to do it, you know, um, without the use of melatonin, which obviously we can't have in the UK anyway with that prescription. But in the US, kind of the use of melatonin is 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 pretty much an epidemic. <laughs> I think I think what he was talking about there, the, the idea of like training low or training kind of fasted, and I think Adam, that's 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 really so you can get kind of the endurance adaptions, right? Yeah. So basically, if you're fueling with carbs all the time, then you just get used to using carbs all the time, and therefore you're not adapting to in terms of endurance. So you you might be able to maintain your performance because you're drip feeding the fuel all the time. But then when you are in a situation where you have to have endurance, you haven't got that capability. You haven't got the ability to tap into your 
um, unlimited reserves of energy, basically body fat, uh, and even storing fat within your muscle itself. So using your muscle as, a, as another reservoir of fat in the body. So I, I think that training low is a way in which you can do that. But it's again this idea that you're using, you've got an appreciation of the energy systems that you're using. So if you take David's example that he's training for, or if you're doing a park run, like on a if you're an average punter doing a park run on a Saturday morning, you, know, you don't need to fuel up with energy gels and carb load for that because it's a it's a twenty minute blast. Yeah, so you're not needing to fuel aggressively for that type of thing. But yet people believe that they need to because they're doing some sort of physical exertion therefore they need to aggressively fuel for it so it's as much around that notion that you suddenly appreciate that there are circumstances where you deliberately refrain from fueling to adapt to a period of low availability of fuel and then that helps you to when you need to keep going with a limited amount of fuel supply more indefinitely or to maximize the use of the fuel that you've got and when you supply it. Can I ask you, David, do you, do you, yeah, do, do you uh, do any kind of sort of tracking of what you eat at the moment? And the second question is for you too. Is it, is that a good idea or? How do you even know you eat well? Mm. My first question, the first to answer the first question, I can just sorry, I, I just I can just say that I, I go into this kind of robotic thing. I have porridge in the morning. I have my Singapore noodles for lunch here at the studio, <laughs> and then I I do have a recovery shake if I've done a hard session slightly after, and then I just eat sensibly, really. I've got there's no real structure to what I'm doing or no real science. It's just going back to kind of doing quite repetitive. I could do with kind of actually this is why speaking to Adam and Damien was how do you put a bit more science into it rather than just my kind of pardon the pun gut feeling. Yeah, so I mean strategies of going back to like the training low. I mean the the way in which people have done that, and historically that's come about is you know if you think of Rocky going out for his run in the morning um, down the street, he, he drinks it raw. He does that before mm. breakfast. He does it fasted, yeah, and, and <laughs> people have been doing that. Yeah, well, afterwards, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, you wouldn't do that before you go for a run. I wouldn't imagine, but. And, and and also your Kenyan runners, they've been running, uh, you know, fasted for for millennia. You know, so it's this idea that we're not reinventing something; we're just acknowledging these practices and and why they've worked uh, and what benefit they're giving you metabolically. You know, we're almost just quantifying and, and supporting the science behind a practice that's been going on for years. Um, and it might be for you, David, that you might decide. And certain training sessions are light training session that's more of a conditioning type training that you do that in a fasted state or without any deliberate fueling or you might adapt your fueling before that so so that you're not over fueling for that thing and and perhaps that might even expand into the recovery from that you might not aggressively recover from that lighter session in the same way as you would in a heavy session mm. So it's just adapting and tweaking what you're doing 
um, depending on what the whether it's a rest day, a high intensity session, or a low intensity session, or a lead up to an event where you want to just like get everything stocked up and maximise mm. mm. all your stores to give you the best mm. performance ever. Um, so yeah, it, it's just that recognition, and that's like Team Sky. Uh, I mean, James Morton, who's really the uh, one of the key advocates mm. of training low. Um, was working with Team Sky, was headhunted mm-hmm. by them, and that's um, really where they established that, um, yeah. because he was doing the research in that area. Yeah, I suppose to to conclude, guys, um, is what would be your your tips to, and this is to both of you, because I guess there's tips to kind of everyday living and nutrition and tips for when you're going after an objective because i think it's when you're going after both you can get too overly invested in and drop out what's the way of kind of getting them the, the best out i of think i think to, to pick up on one point that has been kind of mentioned slightly already is like for the average exerciser or you know the kind of the weekend um rider or runner is 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 the point that adam made really is to fuel for the work required it's like if you're going for a couple of laps around regent's park you don't need like 600 calories of energy drink a few gels and a slice of cake afterwards it's like um, you know really i think that can be one of the one of the biggest wins for for the average exerciser and then also i think adam can probably talk about a little bit more about the idea of training low or training fasted that's something i'm personally um, a big advocate of and enjoy doing myself all of my all of my runs all of my time on the bike um, is pretty much always always fasted um that would be that would be the two things from me and actually picking up on something that david mentioned is like eating the same thing every day that's something that i do a lot because i just know you I, I i don't know if it's true but i feel my body gets to gets to know it i know it's like a certain amount of calories every day you know, every day i have like oats and then for lunch i pretty much have the same thing as well um they would be things from me and i'm, I'm sure adam can go into a little bit more depth on some of the science yeah, actually, I was going to simplify it even more, actually, Damien, and just say with something that has been peddled for years and years, and mm. that is everything in moderation. So whether you're an average person that's exercising or not, what you s- tend to find is people don't moderate what they're eating. Uh, and it's just that recognition of the fact that, yeah, you might eat some uh, – you don't have to eat prescriptively the same amount every day or pack up and eat the same types of foods every day. But acknowledge the fact that one day you might have a big blowout because you're entertaining and eating lots and maybe drinking lots. But then that's balanced out by several days of moderation. Um, And in a way, that's the same philosophy when it comes to performance, whether you're training, whether you're uh, preparing yourself for an actual event or performance you're moderating what you're doing. You're adapting. You're, You're saying, well, this is a time when I need a lot. Well, I've done a lot of expenditure. I've spent a lot of fuel, so therefore I need to replenish that fuel. Or I don't need to spend a lot of fuel because I'm not going to spend that fuel in the exercise that day. Uh, and it's just moderating and matching. How's your training looking at the moment, David? How many hours a day or a week? What's your What's your schedule? I'm doing about. So I've, I've been doing it purely on Zwift. So the first two weeks, two and a half weeks, um, because my, my coach, Marty Castello, who's in Girona, and this is 
kind of been one of the learnings is he just puts the, the program on training peaks and it just uploads into Zwift and then it's on erg mode. And it's just crazy how it's not easy. And it's, I'm, I'm not doing more an hour and a 20, hour and 20 is about the max I do, but every session is intervals of some form. And what I've noticed is, is just how uh, it's not at all psychologically demanding. If I look back to when I was doing it and you didn't have this and we kind of had our parameters and going out on the road and then trying, trying to hold those powers that you were given was really intense psychologically trying to do that and took a lot of willpower and you had to have the right conditions and choose the right routes. And whereas now I'm just on Zwift and just going through arches yeah. and it's just I guess doing it, I and so that's I guess, it, it, I guess it's a lot of yeah. weight taken off your mind, right? When all you have to do is just like follow the screen and the, the ERG take care of the power for you, right? You're just yeah. It's madness. It's and it's been a real revelation for me because I've been to Christian Vanderveld, next teammate of mine, uh, last week about this because he commentates for NBC and we watch all these young kids just coming through and that is amazing. And we often say, well, surely they can't keep it up for a decade if they're starting this intensity at 21 but actually it's a lot less intense because all the science is so it's so optimized now even the technology is so optimized so you don't you don't have to spend mm -hmm. so much psychological energy to perform because and you don't have so many doubts and you don't have everything's been simplified and optimized and it's it's, it's really interesting and I mean, I can see in two weeks, I'm already getting so much better from doing these one hour, one hour, 20 rides, everything's structured, you know, I can, it's in, you know, that those one hour, 20 rides, those intervals would equate to two and a half ride, two and a half hour ride in the road. Yeah. And yeah. it wouldn't be as effective. And, you know, it's just every, the conditions are so controlled. And, and I think that's, what's really fascinating. And then you can start to control the nutrition again, have absolute confidence in what you're doing regards it because you are quantifying everything. It's all because all the data claims. Are you doing so any long, slow rides? And if I will be when I get back, yeah, when I get back to Drona, I'll start fitting that in. I kind of wanted to to do this bit first, get into the habits and the routine, because that's the the hardest thing to form. And um, and then, then I think it's kind of getting an idea of. It's nice at the moment because you know in the first two weeks you see everything. There's a real, yeah. it's exponential. And then it starts to sort of slow down and you plateau for a bit. And then if you get it wrong, it starts to go down. So I'm just kind of being careful now because I'm at that two week sort of point where it's, yeah. it's, it's well, I think, I think, I, I think, I think, I think muscle massive. memory is a real thing. And, and you've obviously got some, some good muscles from, oh. from, from your previous experience. So uh, yeah. hopefully that, that curve yeah. is, uh, yeah. is steep for you in terms of getting back up. Yeah. It's really interesting, David, because you say because we all. I think muscle muscle memory is often a misnomer because it's it's neural pathways. So kind of it's the neural pathways. And I got no muscle at the moment, but the yeah. the pedal stroke's still there, and it's kind of everything. And it's and because I've got the muscle memory of the neural pathways, it's kind of it's exponential. It's but do you all not find your, again really quick. Do you not find your legs and glutes kind of getting bigger and stronger almost immediately once you get on the bike properly? They don't get bigger. Um, right. It's getting stronger. And and what was really this is this is mad. On day three, I was leaving the studio in Girona and I got on my Brompton and was riding to my car. It was parked in the edge of town, and I literally felt my pedal stroke was different. 
And I was like, whoa, what? It felt like my feet were glued to the pedals as I was just, and they were just like clipless. And I was like, Jesus, it's like the quickening. It was like the body just firing up. And put this in contrast to when I did the year of the New York Marathon in 2019, when I spent a year training for it. I was, it took me a year to get to the point where I was getting kind of comfortable. I think it would have taken me another year to get any neural pathways because I'd have had to start doing specific training. So that would have been two years to get to a point to even have any kind of semblance of efficiency in running. And whereas with with cycling, I can have eight years, eight years effectively off and in three or four days, yeah. I'm back to absolute efficiency and what, in pedal stroke. What, what about and the bike? The have you got the bike score too? Because the bike must be a lot quicker than what it was eight years ago for a time trial. Yeah, that that's part of it. So yeah, yeah, and that was that's been part of this as well. So factor, her, her, I know Rob Jatilis, the the owner, really well, and I told him about this, and he's just completed their new bike, the Hanzo. So he's doing this beautiful back to Hanzo. And so I'm going to get to ride one of the fastest bikes in the world, if not the fastest bike in the world. And that, that in itself is going to be crazy. Because when I look, I'm commentating on the time trial here at Paranese two days ago, and everyone's got such beautiful equipment now. You know, and their positions are amazing. And this is going back to what I was saying before, Adam, how everyone's got access to this nutritional, majority to this nutritional science. And the same with equipment. And so just being able to get in and kind of touch one of those bikes and ride it, yeah. I think is going to be mad because and actually, I thought they were fast before. But if you're, I was going to go on my bike from 2014. Because I was going to say, arcade. like, um, is it hard for you to get back into that aggressive position kind of eight years on? Because if I remember right, your, your position was kind of like, <laughs> you, it was really kind of head down, not even looking up, right? You yeah. were just looking at the, you know, yeah. your, your front wheel, yeah. quick release skewer or something. Yeah, I was one of the first one of the first ones to kind of bring that. They all do that now. It's kind of they've understood that you have to hide from the wind. Uh, at the moment, the biggest problem is going to be my <laughs> my belly will kind of. So I need to like kind of my stomachs my my because I'm skinny fat boy. My my trunk gets bigger is and now I've got to because my even at my best my my thighs would be tapping right. my chest and kind of in that in that position. So I'm gonna it's gonna have to be and that's one of the reasons that. People might say for a 10 mile time trial flats, you don't, weight's not a significant factor, but power to weight's always, but it's also the surface area and the position. You know, it's like I can just shrink myself down when I'm smaller and it's negligible, but it's so much more comfortable and efficient if I can, if I can get into that position, which does mean removing a few kilos. Is that because the moments, if I, I got a bike at the studio when I, which in Drona, which I'll try when I get back, but I have a feeling that. I wouldn't be able to ride it because my thighs would just not be able to, would be hitting my trunk at the moment. So, so that's some of the work that needs to be done. You have to lay off the, uh, the Jesus red wine Christ. and the beer. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, um, Darren, I put show notes into form nutrition in the podcast. People go and check out form. It's pretty amazing, amazing company. And, um, see lots of stuff in there because you, you guys got loads of content yeah well. so we've got you know we've got inform which is our kind of content platform we've got a lot of guides and courses mm-hmm. a lot of which have been written by adam so there's like email courses on everything from uh, intermittent fasting through to body composition so yeah a lot of a lot of great content that we just love um sharing with our community adam thank you so much that's been brilliant and i'd love to pick your brain another time yeah, so-